Well, we once again head to our Mark series, this time heading to Mark chapter 10. We'll actually be in Mark 10 for several weeks yet, and every time we come to God's Word, it's really important that you have it open before you. I don't want you to take my word for matters this morning. I want you to see that God's Word has final authority. God's Word is truth. God's Word doesn't lie, and God's Word has that authority to define what is right and what is wrong. And so it's important to have it open before you as we work through today's passage. Now, last week, we spent time considering what the Lord sought in a biblical marriage. Specifically, husbands were to love their wives and wives were to respect and submit to that spiritual lead of their husbands. We also learned that marriage was a wonderful and divine blessing by God, one that needs to be protected and honoured before God. And today, as we head deeper into Mark chapter 10, it's no coincidence that we go from marriage to the family home, from that marital union to the the marital union producing children and what it looks like to raise children before Jesus. Now, what we're going to see is that Jesus, just as he did last week, is going to take a situation that isn't necessarily a teaching moment, but he turns it into a teaching moment and reveals to us wonderful truths of the kingdom of God. Now, there's three things that we're going to see today. Firstly, that we should come to Jesus in childlike faith. Secondly, that children should be cherished. And thirdly, it is not the responsibility of the Sunday school, rather the parents, to raise their children before Jesus. Let me just say those three things that we'll get from the passage today. That we come to Jesus in childlike faith, that children should be cherished, and it's not the responsibility of the Sunday school to raise children up before Jesus. That responsibility lies with the parents. And so as we say all those things, we're going to delve into our passage today. It's quite a short passage, but lots of things we can learn from it today. Mark chapter 10 and from verse 13. And they were bringing children to him, that he might touch them, and the disciples rebuked them. Now the they at the beginning of this verse refers to parents and it was common practice for Jewish parents to bring their children to the rabbi, to the local rabbi, usually their children aged one to three for a blessing. Now a common blessing that the rabbis would use upon children and over children would be Numbers chapter 6 and from verse 24. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. These were some of the words that the rabbis would speak a blessing over children and over the family home. And we know of a very particular special blessing in Samuel when Hannah presented Samuel before the priest, dedicating Samuel for the Lord's work and for the Lord himself. And so as we come to today's passage and we see these parents bringing their children for a blessing from Jesus, it's not necessarily an unusual circumstance. Parents were bringing their children as they normally would do and parents were seeking a blessing as they normally would do. However, there's a distinct difference in today's situation. Jesus is not a local rabbi. In fact, many of the local rabbis were frustrated with Jesus because they saw him talking out of turn, even at times they viewed breaking the law, and Jesus blaspheming against the most almighty God. Little did they actually realise that Jesus was the Lord, that he himself is the Son of God, that long-awaited for Messiah, and that he had every authority to do these things. Yet there is something here, isn't there, that parents are not taking their children to the local rabbis, instead they're taking their children to Jesus. Now they would have heard about his healings, his casting out of demons, even his teaching, 
And there is something deep inside these parents that instead of doing the usual thing and taking their children to the local rabbi, they do the unusual thing and take their children to Jesus. Now, there's no indication that their children are sick and in need of healing, no indication that they're demon-possessed and need the help of Jesus. Nothing like that is said in the passage. Rather, it simply states that the, the parents were bringing their children to Jesus. They sought a divine input. They sought something that they couldn't do or muster up within themselves. What we're seeing here is parents deeply caring for the souls of their children. Simply put, Jesus was good for their children, and therefore it was worth the journey to find Jesus and to seek his blessing. Now I want to be very clear here. They didn't take their children to the local synagogue, Sunday school or youth club. They took their children to Jesus. Now I'm not saying Sunday school and youth clubs are bad, but we must remember that they cannot be a replacement for a parent lovingly raising their children before Jesus. It is not a replacement of a parent seeking to bring Jesus into the home and seeking to lead their children to Jesus. Sunday school and youth clubs can only be an aid, a help to parents to continue and to further develop the knowledge of Jesus they're already being taught at home. And that's something we must remember here. The parents are taking responsibility of bringing their children to Jesus. And we'll touch on that in a few moments time. But let's look at Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 4. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Now, last week we looked very particular at husbands and the roles of a husband. Now we're looking at the role of the father, because again, these parents are bringing the children to Jesus. So it's important to spend some time on looking at the role of the parents themselves. And as a father, I'm called not to provoke, not to manipulate or frustrate my children. I'm called to bring them up disciplined and in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Do you see, this is a command. Last week's husbands were clearly commanded to fiercely love and be devoted to their wives. This week, fathers are commanded to teach their children about Jesus. So concerned about this, that God puts this as a prerequisite for being a church leader. 1 Timothy 3 verse 4. He must manage his own household well, with all dignity, keeping his children under submission. Now submission here isn't about do as I say, not as I do. It is under the submission of God's word. So once again, fathers, parents are to teach the word of God to their children so that the whole household is under submission of the word of God. Do you see here, as parents are bringing their children to Jesus, they're actually showing obedience to the command of raising their children up in the knowledge of Jesus Christ. Because the Bible is clear, the responsibility to lead children to Jesus, the responsibility to teach children about Jesus, the responsibility to reflect Jesus, and the responsibility to speak about Jesus sits with the parents. And this is why parents brought their children to Jesus and to receive a blessing, for they were deeply concerned about the souls of their children. Now remember, Jesus is mainly focused at this point on teaching his disciples, especially as he heads towards the cross. It's important that the disciples understand what is happening. So how do the disciples react? Again, we, we keep doing this over the last few weeks. We're looking at what the disciples do because Jesus is teaching them how to react, how to behave, how to understand. So parents are coming with their children, seeking a blessing. How do the disciples react? Well, verse 13 tells us they rebuked the parents. 
you do kind of feel sorry every time that the disciples come up over the last few chapters. They really do make some fundamental mistakes. They send crowds away hungry, they argue over who the greatest is, they stop people from, uh, people from helping others, and now they're rebuking parents as they bring their children to Jesus. Now there's three schools of thought as to why they rebuked the parents. Firstly, they would have been tired. Everywhere they went, ministry was a priority. Often they forgo sleep and food to serve alongside Jesus. Maybe they were simply worn out and just couldn't be bothered dealing with more people. Secondly, they might have been jealous. More and more people wanted time with Jesus. More and more people wanted him for themselves. And so the disciples, jealous of Jesus' time, jealous of his attention, rebuked the parents and sent them away. Finally, they have rebuked the parents in order possibly to protect Jesus. You see, the Jesus at this moment had already described that he would die, that he would rise from the dead and that he would be Lord over all. And as Jesus heads to the cross, I'm sure his demeanour would have changed. Things have got quite serious. And so maybe the disciples were just protecting Jesus. Now, whichever you choose, whichever school of thought you choose, and, and really we can't say for certain, the disciples acted out of instinct rather than pausing to see what Jesus would have wanted them. They wanted to react in the moment and in their reaction they rebuked parents rather than seeking what Jesus wanted at those moments. Now talking about Jesus, let's head to verse 14. But when Jesus saw it, he was indignant and he said to them, let the children come to me, do not hinder them, for to such belongs the kingdom of God. Now Jesus witnesses his disciples rebuking and sending these parents away and we read that he was indignant, meaning that Jesus was annoyed by the unfair treatment shown towards these parents. So he directs his attention not to the parents, not to the children, but to the disciples and he says, let the children come to me, do not stop them. And what an incredible show of love from Jesus. Jesus is on the way to the cross. He is going to be brutally murdered for the sins of mankind. Yet here, he stops and willingly spends time with the children that are brought to him. This is the Jesus we know and love, sacrificial and selfless. This is agape love. This is what it means to love as Christ loved, to know that there is going to be a moment where you're going to suffer. But in that moment, the best thing you can do is to look to others and care for others. Now the disciples were told off because once again, they don't recognize the ministry of Jesus. And I really like how Jesus tells the disciples to not hinder the children, put no obstacle in their way and let them come to Jesus. Now, why should that be the case? Why should they be allowed to come to Jesus? Well, what we're told here is that the kingdom of God is theirs. The kingdom of God will be given to the child. Now, it's an interesting phrase, isn't it? Does that mean all children? And by that, I mean really all children from birth to the age of 16 are automatically going to get heaven. I don't really think that's the premise of what Jesus is getting at here. Rather, I want you to consider just for a moment a child and a child's behavior specifically a young child. A very young child is humble. They're not caught up in pride or prestige. And in fact, children are often shy and unassuming when we place them in the limelight. How often as parents have we asked our children to tell a joke or, or do a skill that they've learned in front of people and their first reaction is often to go shy and reserved. 
Children, again, young children, are obedient. Yes, there is moments of disobedience and there's moments where they really do rebel, but their instinct is to please and to be obedient towards their parents, especially in their younger years. Young children are also trusting. The children, uh, child considers their parents to have both wisdom and understanding. They have confidence in their parents, that their parents can be trusted, and they're perceived as not bad people. But also, children have short memories. Have you noticed that very young children, specifically in that, again, age range of kind of one to five, don't really bear long grudges or grievances. Rather, children are often quick to forgive. As a parent, there can often be moments where we're embarrassed and, and we do something wrong or we react in the moment wrong. And I, I know from my perspective, I've done that and I've had to come before my children and say sorry and seek their forgiveness. And wonderfully, children are quick to forgive and not to bear grudges. Do you see, in coming to Jesus, in seeking his blessing, combined with that life of a child, a life of basic characteristics, shows one who the kingdom will belong to. Those who are made righteous before Christ. Now, don't get me wrong, I'm not saying that children are, are born Christians. They're born into sin and therefore they need to come to Christ like anybody else to seek salvation. However, Jesus uses the basic characteristics of a child to show that the kingdom of God is on display and that the kingdom of God is for the humble, for the obedient, for the trusting, for the one that doesn't bear grudges and grievances, for the one that comes in childlike faith. Now Jesus takes this lesson even further in verse 15. Truly I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child shall not enter it. Now as I mentioned last week, when we read truly or truly truly, we need to pay attention because what is coming next is of utmost importance. Jesus declares if you do not come to Christ like a child, you cannot enter the kingdom of God. Now we need to flesh this out a little because many do take this verse out of context. A child is totally dependent on their parents. Total and unconditional trust is given to a child's parents. Now so should that be for the disciple who follows Jesus. Many come to Jesus with their own agendas, their own thoughts and their own desires. But to be a disciple of Jesus you must come without agenda in complete surrender to King Jesus. We're to become childlike in our complete trust and dependence on Jesus. Just like that one-year-old, two-year-old, three-year-old that desperately needs their parent to love them, care for them, feed them, clothe them, help them go to sleep, comfort them, be with them. So children trust their parents and depend on them. And so a disciple trusts the Lord and depends on the Lord. Now, I want you to be very clear here. We're saying childlike faith, not childish faith. Childish is a whole different thing. Childlike talks about the humility, the obedience, the trust. Childish faith talks about immaturity. Matthew 18 verse 3 gives us a little bit more insight. Truly I say to you, unless you turn and become like children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Whoever humbles himself like this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. Notice the simple but profound faith to turn from evil and turn toward Jesus, like a child who's in complete surrender to the love of their parent. A humbled person, like a child who sees their parent as greater than them. We are to place Jesus on high and humble ourselves before them. 
You see, childlike faith is not about simplicity. You only need to understand what a child would understand. It is about helplessness, the complete surrender to another. It's about weakness. You cannot survive without the help of another. It's about devotion. Nothing distracts from the love of another. The kingdom is full of individuals who have come to Christ in this manner, weak, helpless and devoted. So when we say childlike faith, we're not meaning childish immaturity. We're meaning the childlike of dependence, of trust, of hope in Jesus. Now, it's for this reason that John points out that faith in Christ means we become children of God. John 1.12, but to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. In John's three letters towards the end of the Bible, he refers to the believer as a child or children of God no less than 18 times. Childlike faith in Jesus produces a reward of becoming a child of God. Do you see that? The, the behaviour gives the right to become a child of God. The behaviour of humility before the Lord, seeking forgiveness. Humility because we cannot deal with our sin ourselves. We are helpless, we are weak without God and therefore we have to come to God in humility. We come to God in devotion. We trust him, we obey him, we have faith in him, we have hope in him just as a child does with their parent and so then we get given the right upon salvation through faith of becoming children of God. Childlike faith resulting in becoming children of God. Verse 16, and he took them in his arms and blessed them, laying his hands on them. Now, without being hindered, the children approached Jesus. And I think this tells us a lot about Jesus, that Jesus, that the children willingly separated from their parents to go to Jesus. For Jesus was an individual where all have an opportunity to find salvation. And because all have the opportunity to find salvation, Jesus is welcoming, open arms. Jesus is someone that you want to run to. Yes, Jesus is a God of love. Yes, he calls us to righteousness in his name. And yes, Jesus teaches what it means to be holy in our living. Now at this moment, Jesus doesn't just lay a hand on the child as if blessing them as they walk past in an orderly fashion. You know, next child, here's a blessing, next child, here's a blessing, next child, here's a blessing. No, Jesus took the children and embraced them. He hugged like a parent would hug and he blessed them. This was not a fleeting moment. This was a divine moment, a moment to be cherished, a moment to be savoured, a moment not to be rushed. This was the Messiah, the Lord, the Son of God, blessing children, blessing their souls, blessing the family home as they humbled themselves before King Jesus. Now, two more things I want you to notice before we go into uh, some application. Notice that unhindered children went to Jesus. Obstacles are man-made and often and sadly made by the parents. And it's these obstacles that Satan uses to distract children away from Jesus. Secondly, notice how the parents brought their children to Jesus for a blessing or a hope of a blessing. Yet Jesus gives so much more, which reminds us of Isaiah 40, 11. He will tend his flock like a shepherd. He will gather the lambs in his arms. He will carry them in his bosom and gently lead those that are with young. Jesus gives more than a blessing. He lovingly 
takes hold of those who seeks them and protects them. He lavishes upon them the mercy of God and his sacrificial love. He gives more than ever could be imagined. And so that love of Jesus that is more than can ever be imagined is often pushed to the side by an obstacle that a parent, a loved one, puts before a child. And it's really important that we see this, that Jesus commands, let the children come to me unhindered, without obstacles before them. Now, as we come toward the close of this passage, again, just a short passage, but much there for us today, let's apply it to our own lives. And as we apply it, someone asked me last week why we need application as part of sermons. Application helps us to consider deeper the Word of God, not just as an academic knowledge, not just understanding of the passage, but how it affects our lives. For God's Word is living and active. It sanctifies us. In in other words, it makes us more like Christ on a daily basis. Therefore, application needs to be given, and it tends to be practical as we work through what we've learned. So as we work through what we've learned in parents bringing their children before Jesus, the disciples bringing an obstacle, Jesus calling the children before him, Jesus blessing the children, as we learn that we need to practically apply it to our life so that we're sanctified, we're made more like Christ, less like the disciples and more like Christ. And so this morning I want to bring just a few kind of practical applications to our lives that we gain from this passage. Number one is this, Godly parenting, godly parenting. I was really challenged by the faith of the parents in bringing their children to Jesus. What a huge responsibility we have as parents to bring children to Jesus. Uh, Crucially, we need to remember that we don't save them, that we don't bring salvation to our children. Only Jesus can do that. However, God has given us a role as parents to lovingly raise them in a home that points them to Jesus. Now, let me just ask you some questions I was asking myself this week as I studied through this passage. Do I pray with my children? Not a quick prayer, but one that points to a meaningful relationship and communication with Jesus. Do I talk about Jesus? Not always on a kind of academic knowledge-based way, but in a meaningful relationship between a child and a saviour. Do I place avenues in a home for children, my children, to find Jesus? Do I have Christian books, Christian movies, Christian songs playing in the background in my household? Do I make every effort to open up the Bible with my children? Do I pray for my children? Not that they're having a happy day as much as I would like that, but praying for their souls to be held in security in Jesus. Do I pray for their future, for their future spouse, for their future career, for their future in Jesus as children of God? Now, I personally praise God that all three of my girls have dedicated their lives to Jesus, and I praise God that their souls are secure with him. However, I am humbled, for there is much more I can be doing, much more I could do with my children to help them mature and develop their faith. I'm humbled to the point where I recognise, just as Jesus was teaching, my childlike faith, my weakness, my inability, my helplessness, and my need for Jesus to help me raise my children before the Lord. Now, I'm sure many that will be watching and listening will feel the same way, will feel that weight of responsibility of raising children before Jesus. Now, we do have resources on our website that you can start uh, to use, resources that teach through God's Word, resources that through children's talks and lots of different things to help you. But I want to just pause before you go there to say this, seek Jesus 
for help. Seek that he would change your heart, that he would help you deeply love your children and deeply care for their souls. For we know that when we go to Jesus, we'll find in him more than we could have ever imagined. As much as parenting is about routines and safety, loving and and caring for our children, it's most importantly about caring for the souls of our children and how we lead them to find, to know and to be captivated by Jesus. Now junior church can help with that, but it can't replace a devoted parent seeking Jesus for their children. If I was to put it bluntly, how cut up are you about where your children will be for eternity? Do you care where they're going to be? And if you do care, how much effort are you putting in, in your helplessness before King Jesus, to lovingly show your children that there is eternal reward in Jesus? But there's also eternal punishment if we ignore the loving sacrifice of Jesus our Lord. I would really encourage you this week to ask yourself these deep questions, to be humbled before the Lord and to seek his help as you seek to raise children before Jesus. Now, the second thing I want us to look at today is childlike, not childish. I hinted towards this in the message, childlike, but not childish. We've seen how being childlike means to be humble, to be obedient, to be trusting, to be forgiving, to be helpless and to be weak. However, many take these verses to mean being childish, or in other words, being immature. They explain away their sin by saying, I have a childlike faith. It is a simple faith. It's not into doctrine and theology, and that's why I make mistakes. They explain their lack of interest in reading the Bible or studying more in depth by pointing out that a childlike faith has saved them. And what they're actually saying is that they have an immature faith and an immature look at what salvation in Christ means. Let me be very clear. Both reactions of explaining away sin and explaining away apathy because of a childlike faith is not childlike, but childish and immature. When Paul was writing to the church in Corinth, he was writing into a situation where there was much debate and much discussion. And just look at what he says in 1 Corinthians fourteen twenty: Brothers, do not be children in your thinking, be infants in evil, but in your thinking be mature. Our faith should be childlike, but our thinking should be mature. We're to be infants to evil. In essence, we're to be immature in our knowledge of what evil is. And we seek not to practice evil, not to practice uh, bad things. We should be novices in what evil is, but we should be mature in our thinking, mature as we dig deep into God's word, learning more and more of God. We're to be sanctified, letting God's word change our hearts and minds. We're to be transformed by the word of God from one who was found as immature to one found as mature in faith. Romans 12 2 says, do not be conformed uh, conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. Now, what does this mean in practice? Simply, we need to stop being childish. We need to stop being immature and saying we didn't know any better and thinking we're going to get away with evil and apathy because, well, we're childlike. No, that is childish. We need to go to God's word because God's word tells us what is right, what is wrong. God's word tells us what is true, what is evil. God's word is the final authority and standard of all things. And so we can't just say, oh, I'm childlike, I'm simple in my faith, because God's word is before you. It helps you mature and understand what he seeks. 
Now, just a little while ago, we were going through a Second Peter series, and Second Peter chapter one helps us to see what a maturing faith and maturing thinking looks like uh, from verse five in chapter one of Second Peter. For this very reason, make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue, and virtue with knowledge, and knowledge with self-control, and self-control with steadfastness, and steadfastness with godliness, and godliness with brotherly affection, and brotherly affection with love. For if these qualities are yours and in increasing, they keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. For whoever lacks these qualities is so short-sighted that he is blind, having forgotten that he was cleansed from his former sins. Do you see, we're made to make every effort to mature and to add to our faith. And when we don't make every effort, when we don't mature, when we remain childish and immature, then we're no longer effective. And in fact, we forget the salvation that has been given to us. And so we're to be childlike in faith and mature in thinking, not childish in our approach to life with Christ. And so I would encourage you this week, spend more time in God's word. If you're confused about something, if you have questions over something, if you're frustrated about something, go to God's word because it will help you mature and give you the answers that God and his holy standard has set. Thirdly, I want to take us to the, the issue of evangelism evangelism. I was reflecting uh, this week on how this passage deals with evangelism. It doesn't doesn't seem kind of an obvious connection, does it? Because we're looking at the family home. But when I use the word evangelism, what I'm meaning is the spreading of the gospel message through preaching or personal witness. And something stood out. The disciples blocked access to Jesus. And it made me stop in my reading. It made me stop in my study and ask a simple yet very worrying question. Do we block access to Jesus? Now, there are some that are going to say, because we teach the word of God in all its fullness, that it scares people away. I I refer to my previous point that we're not to be childish, we're to be childlike, we're to be mature, we're to grow. We must teach the the word of God. We must teach as final authority because we're commanded to do so and it helps us mature in the faith of Jesus. What I'm talking about is hindrances that we put in place. Let me just list some and just see if some of these ring true to you. When the church speaks ill of one another, showing internal politics and personal opinion is more important than forgiving and forgiving in the love of Jesus. When our online presence is no longer about Jesus, but about our views and our earthly life and the wish to build and protect that earthly life. When we no longer invest finances and resources and time into spreading the word of God. And dare I say, when we rush into debate about COVID rules, the use of a church building and whether something is right or wrong, rather than seeking God and his perfect plan and his perfect timing. Do you see, We are often like the disciples in today's passage. We cause obstacles and hindrances to the gospel message. A couple of years ago, I asked someone why they didn't come to church. And the answer was simple. Nobody has invited me. Do you hear that? The hindrance the church put in place to someone coming to access Jesus was they didn't bother inviting this individual. You see, in that example, I hope that you are woken to the potential danger of apathetic or complaining or sinful lives are. They turn people away from Jesus. That is what the disciples were doing and that is what we so often do. 
Now, listen to Paul in Ephesians 6.20 as he describes his own faith. An ambassador in chains, that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. Add further to that 1 Corinthians 11.1. Be imitators of me as I am of Christ. Let me ask you today, are you an ambassador for Christ? Can people truly imitate you and therefore imitate Christ? I fear that we are not calling people to God. Rather, we are calling to a life of hindrances and obstacles to the gospel because many have become ambassadors of this world, ambassadors of social gospel, ambassadors of human thinking rather than salvation in Jesus. I want us to be encouraged by the words of Jesus today within the family home, within our own faith and within our evangelism. And this is what Jesus says. He gets the final word, doesn't he? Let the children come to me. Do not hinder them for such belong the kingdom of God. Truly, I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child shall not enter it. Let us invite people to Jesus where they find the kingdom of God in childlike faith. Let us raise our children before Jesus, not passing the buck onto some organisation, but taking responsibility of leading them to Jesus and let ourselves no longer be childish and immature, no longer using excuses to explain away behaviour. Let us be mature, relying on the word of God to sustain us every single day as faithful servants of Jesus. Let's pray together. Father, we do thank you for the word. This wonderful chapter in Mark 10 goes into so many things of daily life. Father, we pray that we would humble ourselves before you. We pray that we would repent from our sins, that we would seek your forgiveness, that you would set us up to live life as righteous by and through Jesus. Father, we pray that you would help us raise our children before you, raise our children to know Jesus. Father, help us find new ways of bringing Jesus into our homes. Father, let us not be immature in our faith. Let us be mature. Let us not be childish, but let us be childlike. Father, and in our evangelism, we pray that we would no longer put obstacles in the way, but we would with open arms be welcoming people to know Jesus, to hear about him. And Father, let us run without hindrance ourselves. Let us not fear. Let us not worry. Let us not panic. But instead, let us open our our social media, our mouths, our our family home, our writings, our letters, our emails. Let us open them all up to opportunities of giving the gospel message without hindrance and without obstacle. And Father, we pray that as we do all these things, you would abundantly bless us more than we could imagine. Not just that simple blessing, but that uh, full embrace of our Heavenly Father. For we pray, Father, that your kingdom would come, that your kingdom would be glorified and that your son Jesus would be lifted high. We pray this in his precious name. Amen.